Welcome in, everybody. It is Wednesday. Appreciate you being here. Hope your Wednesday is going all right. We want to thank Tim Lasher, Lasher Home Comfort Systems, 405-579-3113, for bringing you hour number one here on Steelman and Thune at noon. On the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network, what a crazy day so far. Tyreek Hill traded from the Kansas City Chiefs to the Miami Dolphins for five draft picks. He's going to be making uh, $30 million per year over the length of a four-year deal worth $120 million. A changing of the guard uh, maybe in the AFC with Tyreek Hill moving on. It's not like the Chiefs are going to fall off the face of the earth, but that's a big weapon going to Miami. Yes, it is, Mike. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted about it just a few minutes earlier. Normally, I would not say that a team that gave up five draft picks for a single player, quote-unquote, won the trade. But I really think the Dolphins won this trade in a big way. The best pick that they gave up was that first-rounder, number 29 overall to bring in a game-changer like Tyreek Hill. And look, like you mentioned, this is not to say that the Chiefs are going to go away, but the Chiefs were the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes had, in particular, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey to throw the ball to. Those were the two guys that changed the game for Patrick Mahomes. You can't replace a guy like Tyreek Hill because he's a unicorn. He's one of a kind. No so doubt. Him yeah. In tandem in Miami with Jalen Waddell is going to be a nightmare for opposing secondaries. And now the Chiefs are tasked with replacing a guy that's going to open up the kind of opportunity in the passing game, particularly downfield, that Tyreek Hill did for so many years. Best trio in the NFL was broken up with Mahomes, uh, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill headed to Miami. we got a lot of stuff to talk about. First of all, Chris Plank is a stud, man. Not only is he a great host and a great play-by-play guy, but the dude was in Lexington, Kentucky last night, and he's right back here doing his radio show at a very professional level, by the way. What a stud he is. Major props to Chris Plank. I've known a few prima donnas in this business uh, over the years. Not a bunch, but some. You ever been the prima donna? I, no, I don't prima donna anything in this. That's I'll pre- good. I'm a prima donna, but when it comes to the radio or the stream show or whatever, I give 100% every day. That's just how I, I can't live with myself if I don't. But, you know, in, in other areas, am I a prima donna? Absolutely. I, no doubt about that. You know, like uh, yard work and hard labor stuff like that, fixing things. I'm not good at that at all. But Plank, man, and T-Row, man, the same deal. T-Row will go do, you know, he'll do a basketball game next day. You know, he'll get all the way to uh, Arlington, you know, for an OU baseball game and then be back on the radio in the morning. The work ethic here is very impressive. Very impressive. I like it. I like people who like to work and do a good job. And, and you got it all across the roster, you really too, do. don't you? You really do. There are no prima donnas, no egomaniacs. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. But Plank, man, major props. Great call last night, as usual, and a great job on the radio. And here he is, back in studio. Pretty amazing. Uh, we're going to talk a lot of OU football today. That's mainly what we do here. But I've got to start with the Godzilla of women's college softball, just trampling all of Tokyo in their wake. And that's the OU women's softball team. 9-1 to run rule victory in Lexington, Kentucky last night. You know how fired up that crowd was to see Oklahoma come to the ballpark last night. They are the Beatles of women's college softball. They really are. Wherever they go. There is a huge crowd, a gigantic mass of people that want to see the OU women's softball team. How big are they? They're the biggest thing on the diamond right now. We don't have Major League Baseball happening. College baseball, I like college baseball. Can you name the number one player in college baseball? 
Because I can't. No, I could not. Can you name and the number I, one player? As you know, I'm a big baseball guy. Can so. you name the number one player in women's college softball? Oh, easily. Absolutely. Well, I, I think there's some competition there, but all of the competition is pretty at, much confined to the OU softball yeah, team. Jordy Ball, you can make an argument, man. She had 12 strikeouts last night. How about that jam she got out of in the first inning? They're unbelievable. I mean, we've got to be talking about potentially an undefeated National championship season for Patty Gasso and company. Now, I think they'll probably stumble once, maybe twice, and win this national championship again. So, man, pressure is on Oklahoma, but, man, they have lived up to it so far when they've been tested, UCLA or Tennessee or whoever. They've come through. They've run-ruled 22 of 26 opponents. Unreal. Last night, they didn't miss a pitch they swung at until, uh, I think Plank said it was the fifth inning. Which is astonishing. Made contact on 40 straight pitches. That's unreal. That does not happen. And last night, you get home runs for Aloe, for Elam, for Brito. Each had two. Jocelyn Alano with 14. Lindsey Elam only had a five at-bat homer streak. (laughs) Finally snapped last night. Unbelievable. And Lisa Brito also had a couple again. Uh, last night, Jordy Ball, 12 strikeouts. They had a record crowd in Lexington. I heard Plank talking about this earlier, uh, that the officials there at Kentucky were saying, man, this is unbelievable. You know, we haven't had this for Alabama or anybody else, any SEC opponents, and softball's pretty big in the SEC. Those rivalries run pretty deep, and they've got a lot of good programs. But the uh, folks there in Lexington said they've never seen a turnout like that. It was all to see the Beatles of women's Softball, the University of Oklahoma, defending national champions, number one team in the country, and now 26-0 on the season. Let's hear from Jocelyn Allo again. Uh, I think that, you know, now that she's being pitched two more, you're seeing the ball leave the ballpark again. Jocelyn Allo with 14 on the year, 102 on her career. And she talks about that being a big and impressive win for the Sooners last night. I think we just came together as a team and we had a really good hard week at practice and it obviously just showed and that's a really good team right there and we'll definitely see them in the postseason for sure, but um, Sooners definitely made a statement tonight. One, just getting to play in front of a different crowd other than ours and two, um, just getting these young ones the experience. not playing in front of our own home crowd as well, and um, just the seniors being able to lead them through that. So, yeah, boomer. I think they're pretty happy with that win last night. 9-1 to one over Kentucky. The Sooners number one, Kentucky number eight in the country, and Oklahoma now again has seven straight home games. Next up, a three-game set with Baylor starting Friday night at 6.30 at Marina Hines Field. Baylor Friday night, 6.30, Saturday Baylor at 2 o'clock, and uh, Sunday Baylor at noon. The OU baseball team will also play a three-game set with Baylor Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at Mitchell Park. But, man, you just can't say enough. What Patty Gasol has done has been spectacular. And not only does she bring in all these great players, recruits at such a high level, but these ladies are also impressive when you see them in interviews and yes, they get excited and they celebrate, but that's part of women's college softball. But I'm just so impressed not only with what we see out there on the diamond for the OU women's program, but also what you see off the field, the way they conduct themselves and how classy they are. So that says a lot for what Patty Gasso has done. She's been spectacular. You can argue when it's all said and done, she might just end up being the greatest head coach in University of Oklahoma athletics history and a big-time favorite to win the national championship. But that is crazy right now. I think that 
there is uh, one program out there, and like I said, I like college baseball, but I can't tell you the number one player in college baseball. And, and I think most people, uh, not well, I would say a majority of people around the country that like sports and know a little bit about sports can tell you that uh, at least Jocelyn Allo's name off the OU roster. So, again, next up for Oklahoma, home game, home set with Baylor beginning on Friday night at 6 30 and uh, that game last night was uh, was pretty pretty amazing Jordy Ball again with 12 strikeouts got in a jam in the first inning got out of it and uh, she continues to be phenomenal and you know when you've got your nine hole hitter leaving the yard twice <laughs> it tells you you've got a pretty powerful lineup you really can't pitch around uh, Jocelyn Allo or it really hardly any of these other hitters they're so good okay uh, so Parker we have uh, spring football well underway. Uh, Colin Cowherd said that USC had the greatest first practice in the history of athletics, I Which guess, Which right? he was obviously trolling. Yes. But the resulting jokes that came as a byproduct of that whole spiel were outstanding. He really likes, really enjoys trolling the Oklahoma fans. And that one was so obvious that I don't think you should even respond to it. And I didn't. I don't think... And that was my perspective on it. The people that were engaging, the people that were taking that seriously, you're just feeding the beast. You're just feeding the monster that is Colin Cowherd. The greatest thing you can do to somebody who you know is trolling you or your fan base or whatever is to do what? Ignore them. Ignore them because that's that's the last thing they want. They want engagement. They want to see Colin Cowherd's laughing at the Oklahoma responses right now. And I understand Sooner fans, if that's the way you want to go, look, I've look, I admit I've been number one in line for being, you know, totally ridiculous about this mule shoe deal and how I've not been able to get over it. I'm not too proud of myself uh, with the responses and situation, but I'm just telling you how I feel, man. I'm not trying to cover up anything. I'm still mad about it. I'm trying to get over it. But when you know it's an obvious troll like that, if you engage that that's exactly playing into Colin Cowherd's hands and what he wants. And he's, he's nothing but a uh, mouthpiece for Muleshoe now in many ways. Which, why is, is he like a closet USC fan, and now that it's cool to care about USC football, he's become the preeminent voice in the public eye? I don't know. Where, where did Cowherd go to school? Do we have any idea? I may have to Google it up. He was, yeah, he was I, in Vegas for a while, right? And then he was in Seattle, I think. Wasn't he in Seattle for a while? That's right. That's why he's a Seahawks fan. So but, why is he, like, wanting to get down on a knee and propose to Muleshoe? I mean, this is crazy, uh, you know. I guess, you know, he probably thinks, oh, well, those Oklahoma hillbillies just don't know how business works or whatever. I don't know. And, and for the most part, I like Cowherd because I think he's really good at what he does. But uh, that was so obvious, the tweet from yesterday, that uh, it was ridiculous. Cowherd went to, wait for it, shout out to the Groves brothers, Eastern Washington. What? Really? I had no idea. No idea. Eastern Washington University. Like, where is he from? Is he from the state of He's Washington? He's from the state of Washington. Aberdeen, Washington. Wait a minute. That's the same place as Kurt Cobain. Is Aberdeen, it really? Washington. Is that where Kurt Cobain is from, really? Yes. Google it up. I'm almost, I'm 99% sure Kurt Cobain's Aberdeen, Washington. Go ahead and Google it. Okay. I am, I am right, researching, right? So, yeah. uh, t- yes, he was born in Aberdeen, Washington. 
You are correct. So Aberdeen freaking Washington produces the uh, the greatest musical voice in the 90s in terms of, you know, just, I'm not saying like singing voice, but his impact on music and uh, particularly alternative music, grunge, Kurt Cobain, voice of his generation, and the man who trolls OU fans, Colin Cowherd, both from Ab- Aberdeen. Wow. That's crazy. You learned something today. We learned something today. It's amazing what we can do with a little help from Google. Is it not? Pretty amazing. You need help with your heat and air system. You can call Tim Lasher at Lasher Home Comfort Systems. They're family-owned and operated, servicing the greater Oklahoma City area since 2007. Tim Lasher, great Sooner, great company, 405-579-3113. Oh, yeah, let's... Let's take it out to the break with a little Cobain right here. He and Colin Cowherd, both from Aberdeen, Washington. Who knew? Now you know. Coming right back. That's how you know we're talking Brent Venables right there. There you go. All right, the Sooners workouts continue. Day two for Oklahoma spring football practice underway. And I would say Sooner Nation is fired up. That is fired up as you can be for spring football. And look, Oklahoma football is always king around here. But uh, this spring session, I think more so than any other, has gotten a lot of attention because of the regime change. You had one evil uh, regime. Well, one evil uh, leader of that regime. Uh, um, Everybody else, you know, I don't want to say they were they weren't except clark clark stroud you want well, to pile you want to pile on to clark well mule shoes mini me yes i don't know if evil but uh you know certainly uh riding the coattails again hanging on to the coattails yeah you've you've had it in for clark stroud as much as anybody well since i just think whole... i don't i don't like coattail riders people hanging on to coattails that's just me you know make your own way don't don't you know i okay i don't i got derailed here now i'm starting to get angry again <laughs> You did that to me, didn't you? You did it, you did uh, I'm, it on I'm very purpose. good at it. But uh, Brent Venables and this staff uh, drawing rave reviews. And look, it's not going to be uh, the honeymoon phase will eventually end when Oklahoma starts playing football because guess what? The OU fans will get upset at some things. Brent's not going to be 100% perfect on everything. But I do like his philosophy. I love his energy and passion. I like this coaching staff a lot. This staff that he put together was, I think, better than most people would have imagined. Uh, even if we, I, I think most OU fans are thinking, you know what? If we get Brent Venables and Jeff Levy, that's a home run. Well, not only did they get both, they got a, an incredible coaching staff to go along with that pair. So it's not just a home run; it's a out of the ballpark grand slam for Oklahoma. Now, does that mean they're going to go to the SEC and start, you know, winning against uh, Nick Saban in Alabama and winning SEC championships? Not necessarily, but I do like this path. I like this road they're paving towards the SEC. Uh, Brent said this the other day at his presser, which I thought was interesting, that, man, he really embraces the Oklahoma tradition. He's part of it, but he says you can't fall back on it. It's a new team, got new faces, um, got new leadership, uh, again, a, a blank canvas. Uh, I know that we, we have a very rich uh, history and tradition here of success, winning this program uh, in the modern era. We've played uh, won na- seven national championships, won 50 conference championships. And when we take a back seat to nobody, I know I've promoted that. Um, uh, was a very small part of it for 13 years. Uh, but none of that really matters. Um, and I say really, I'm trying to be nice. None of it matters. 
what we do moving forward. It, it's as simple as what where our focus is, the work that we put in today and moving forward. And, uh, you know, we got to start completely over. And as we move forward, we could go win the national championship there. It doesn't matter. This year, when it, when it comes January, we're going to turn the page and we're going to start over again. And we're going to go right back to the beginning, right back to the basics, right back to the fundamentals of the program. There you go. What do you think about that comment? Interesting again that, you know, you're Oklahoma, but guess what? Every year's a new year, and you can't just think automatically that, you know what? USC's got a great tradition, too, and they fell on really hard times. They're probably going to be making a comeback. Oklahoma had a period in a very uh, low, uh, you know, valley for a while. Well, you consider consider some of the teams across the country that are still in that valley. Nebraska has great tradition. Miami has great tradition. Heck, Texas has great tradition, Mike. So, if you rely solely on your tradition – to sustain your football program, you're going to come up bone dry at times. And so for Oklahoma, this is much more about a return to the roots and the same philosophies that brought the Sooners their last national championship in 2000, which is we're going to get away from the glitz and glamour of the mule shoe regime. We're going to start building our teams from the inside out, from the trenches to the skill positions rather than the outside in and rely on high-octane offenses and lots of scoring to try and get us over the hump and to a national title. And with Brent Venables, you have the guy that's most capable of executing that vision, and I think you also have a guy that, since, especially since he spent that decade in the Dabo Swinney discipline at Clemson, he's also a guy that has cultivated a new outlook on what it takes to build a monster because let's be honest with ourselves Mike Clemson had no business being the monster that it was in college football and that still is to a Mm -hmm. certain extent sure Clemson had the one national title back in 1981 but 10 years ago if you'd have told anybody you can have you can have 10 15 guesses at who the three top programs in college football 10 years from now are going to be Alabama and Ohio State probably would have been among the very first guesses. I'm not sure anybody would have put Clemson in that conversation. No, absolutely not. And look, Clemson always had the reputation, again, of being a a school that doesn't live up to its uh, potential. Right, Clemsoning became a verb. It did. It absolutely did. They're Clemsoning again. They're underachieving. And I, I think that... For uh, for Brent to be a big part of that, Todd Bates be a big part of that, Miguel Chavis played and became a part of that too, also coaching. Uh, that's that's championship pedigree of, of another uh, strand of DNA coming to Oklahoma. And the Sooners always talk about OU DNA, which is championship DNA, but so is Clemson DNA. Why not fuse that DNA together and see what happens? And um, you just can't say enough about, uh, you know, the job that Brent did there. His his reputation at Oklahoma, I wouldn't say it was in tatters or anything, but they were not playing uh, at the level of defense they expected to be playing at. And Sooner fans, you know, they were just thinking, well, any change is going to help. But Brent went to Clemson and re- I don't want to say reinvented himself, but certainly became the number one defensive coordinator in college football. And another thing that I think bears repeating, Mike, and we've kind of touched on it before. I don't know if we've ever really gone into detail on it, but you remember when Muleshoe was here as head coach, the line he would regurgitate from time to time is simply, this is Oklahoma. When you hear Brent Venable's assistants 
and you hear the narrative stories of how they came to accept a job on Venable's staff at OU, it's always, that's Brent Venables. It's not, this is Oklahoma, it's when I got the opportunity to work for Brent Venables, yeah. that was something yeah. I couldn't say no to. That speaks to having leadership at the top that has a clear and concise and very executable vision that people can get behind. And I think with Muleshoe and so many of his assistants, the issue that you ran into was, sure, they would say all the right things in the public eye because, you know, when the fans hear, this is Oklahoma, they're like, heck, yes, it is. And we're going to be great at the University of Oklahoma. But, you see, what happens when you work at a place like the University of Oklahoma and the motive and the rationale for being there is not to further the success of the program, but to further your career as an individual, then what ends up taking priority is money and power and tabloid headlines. And that's why you see Muleshoe out there at USC right now. Yeah, we thought that uh, Muleshoe would either be a lifetime sooner or that he would go to the NFL. We weren't thinking anything about college. And uh, like I said, we didn't know the guy as well as we thought. And look, and I'll joke and say some things here and there, and I I don't think he's just an overall horrible human being. I think he looks like a good dad. He's a good football coach. All of those things. But I don't think the guy's a truth teller. Uh, in many ways, and I think he also perceives himself because he's heard what a guru he is as he's the smartest guy in the room. You know, we're close, guys. We're close, you know, and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, answering the LSU question, which wasn't an outright lie, but was definitely a bait and switch a little bit. Uh, and then to, to have the audacity to tell people that, again, we're not taking players from Oklahoma, we're taking players from the portal. The audacity to say, yeah, we made this decision in two hours. We had no contact with USC, you know, until Sunday morning after Bedlam. Complete BS. You know, okay, you didn't. Trace Armstrong did for a long time, apparently. Okay, well, yes, we're, I think we're getting a little bit sidetracked here, though. What I'm getting at is that the reason so many of these assistants instantaneously said yes to accepting a position on the Oklahoma staff is not because they view Oklahoma as a means to an end or as a destination job. It's because they see Brent Venables as a great leader and somebody they do. that yeah, they right. want to work yeah. for. Yeah, and, and so, I got up on another mule shoe tangent, but I know what you're saying is Brent is a special dude, man. And I think he was already special when he was here at Oklahoma the first time around. They won a national championship, and it didn't end real well, but it was still not horrible. And he did a very good job overall during his first stint at OU. But he has come back, man, ready, ready to be a head coach. You heard what Thad Turnipseed said, and I don't think he's totally BSing or he wouldn't be at Oklahoma. He worked for Nick Saban. He worked for Dabo. He said the number one reason he's here is Brent Venables. And he said, I think he's the next Nick Saban. And when you hear Brent Venables is the next Nick Saban, that should get you excited. Particularly from a guy who worked for Nick Saban. You know, and a guy that has done as much behind the scenes for some of the elite programs in college football as that turnip seed has. Yeah, absolutely. All right, uh, we're going to get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line, ladies and gentlemen. Here on a Wednesday, happy to be here. Air Comfort Solutions text line four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine. That's four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine. Tyree Kill. 
traded to the Miami Dolphins. The uh, Dolphins getting five uh, picks in return. One first-rounder and Tyreek Hill, four years, $120 million. What's going to happen with Baker Mayfield again? We'll talk about that here in a little bit. OU women's softball just crushing the opposition. I mean, it's, it's a total mismatch in just about every matchup. You know they're going to be tested. They were already by UCLA and Tennessee, but this team's on a championship track looking great. Big win at Kentucky last night. But let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line when we get back here in the home of Sooner fans, the ref. Big, big weekend on tap at Riverwind Casino. Every weekend is there. But uh, this one, uh, I would say extra special. You have the uh, final promotional drawing for the uh, 80K courtside cash giveaway. Get out there and uh, grab your share of the cash and bonus play. Have a great meal at Chips and Ales, the pub restaurant, or at the River Buffet on steak night. All-you-can-eat steak for $29.99. It is super efficient, super clean, really good, and it's not going to cost you a lot. Plus, you can get as many steaks as you want made to your specifications. All the side dishes, great desserts afterwards as well. And then on Saturday night, one lucky patron is going to win the keys to a brand-new Cadillac X. T5, 2022 Cadillac XT5 in the 80K Land into Luxury promotion. Always something to win, not just a jackpot, cash, bonus play, prizes. You'll always have a good time, great dining options, world-class hotel. And we also have coming up this summer, uh, May 28th, we'll kick off the 2022 Beats and Bites concert series with Night Ranger and Starship featuring Mickey Thomas. Other great shows happening. Also, check out the schedule online at Riverwind.com, presented by uh, Riverwind and Coupe Aleworks, and that is always a lot of fun. Last year, we had Hall of Fame Rock and Rollers Cheap Trick outside at Riverwind. They've got a great fireworks show coming up July 9th after the uh, Randy Rogers Band, and it's going to be a great time out at Riverwind Casino. That's why they are simply the best. All right, let's get to the Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Okay, one listener says they ought to call the Cleveland Browns the Cleveland Predators. No, because that would make... That would make the Browns sound terrifying or intimidating at the very least, and they are anything but. It's a good joke, they though. They are a yes. patsy of a franchise. What is, the Indians became the you Guardians, know, right? Aren't they uh, the Guardians this year? Yes, the the Guardians. You know what's hilarious? I saw this on Twitter. Somebody said, imagine Deshaun Watson taking over Baker's series of commercials and having to oh, go yeah. around and tell all the neighbors <laughs> that a sex offender moved in. <laughs> Oh, I like it. Man, that is, uh, I don't know, man. I I don't know. Uh, We're going to see where Baker eventually lands, and I've got some sound. Uh, It looks like Carolina apparently is not interested, so it could be Seattle. I mean, Atlanta, are they really going to give the keys to Marcus Mariota? Is that like an insurance policy? I don't know. I think what's happening here, again, uh, because everybody knows the Browns are hamstrung here because they paid Deshaun Watson all that money. They're not going to – Baker again, nobody wants to be in line, and that's a, still a cheap NFL starting quarterback salary, $18.9 million next season. But they know that uh, the Browns are deep in it with this deal, and once that uh, they can get a better deal and work over the Browns, and Baker becomes cheaper for another team, then you'll start seeing a little more action. But, uh, man, it's going to be interesting to see where he winds up. Okay. 
What do we have? Yeah, okay, another listener says, I wonder if Cowherd ever did heroin with Cobain. You know, you know what's interesting, though? I wonder if they ever crossed paths. Because not only are they from the same hometown, but they're contemporaries. Cowherd's only two years older than Cobain was. Really? I, so, I don't know. I wonder if they like, went to high school together for a year or two or something like that. I, I, did I tell you? Because I've uh, read, you know, three or four books on Cobain, and I was a big fan. I love all those bands. I love Pearl Jam, too, man. Uh, Slight Edge to Nirvana, I love Pearl Jam, love Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, I love that sound, I just thought it was awesome. You can throw STP in there, I think, as well. But my favorite Cobain story was he didn't want to, he wasn't super athletic, but his dad, I can't remember if it was his real dad or his stepdad, made him wrestle. And he didn't want to wrestle. He was into music and everything else. He, he was more on the creative side than the athletic side, much more, obviously, as we learned. But Cobain didn't want to wrestle, and he had a rebellious spirit about him. So he went out there in his first match, and the rep blows the whistle, and Cobain falls straight on his back unless the other guy pin him. <laughs> and I guess that was the end of his wrestling career. So can you imagine that, being the dad up there, all of a sudden the whistle blows, and the dude just drops straight on his back, lets his opponent pin him, and that was it. That was I it. mean, that's, that's one way out of the game. Dad, uh, you could see a young Kurt Cobain doing that, though. Right or I guess one way out of the match, I suppose. But yes, you can. Kurt Cobain just did his own thing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was the voice of teen young angst in the '90s. There's no doubt. Uh, do you think Baker's best days are to come, or have they already happened? That's a lot of that depends on where he ends up. If you ask me to pick one side, I'm going to say maybe those best days have already happened, uh, you know, for like the season and a half. Because the Browns had a lot to work with, man. He had a great running game, good offensive line. I like Juice Landry a lot. Obviously, the OBJ situation didn't work out chemistry-wise. I think the main thing, the deciding factor, Parker, in this deal, and this question will be where he winds up and the weapons they have around him. Like, if he goes to Seattle, they've still got to sign Metcalf, right? Um, Tyler Lockett's there, but a lot depends on the organization. I mean, he still could end up in Detroit, too, maybe. There's still people who think that Baker is a better option than Jared Goff and that he'd be a fit with that coaching staff. And uh, obviously you have the Browns' old GM there, John Dorsey, as well, so maybe Baker would be with the Lions. At least you get to see him every Thanksgiving game. Thanksgiving with Baker. Detroit is just (sighs) – it is, you know, the you remember the old Bud Light commercials with the pit of misery? Mm-hmm. That's what Detroit is <laughs> in the NFL. If it's not Cleveland, it's Detroit. So watching Baker Mayfield go from Cleveland to Detroit is the worst of lateral moves. Man, and you think of all of the uh, players, big-time, big-name players that have played in Detroit, starting with Steve Owens to Billy Sims to Barry Sanders – uh, A.D. had a big, or not a big, but a brief stint with the Lions as well. So uh, that would be interesting. And The Lions drove Barry Sanders to an early retirement, and they drove Calvin Johnson to an early retirement. And yeah. those two guys might be among the top five most talented skill position players in professional football over the last three decades. Yeah, and you think about, to me it's a coin flip, Barry Sanders or uh, Jim Brown, greatest running back of all time. Uh, I go pure runner, I'll go Barry Sanders, although Jim Brown's hard to beat. But uh, 
Calvin Johnson was in the mix when he was playing at his best uh, with the you know greatest receivers of all time too. So you're right. Oh man, the Lions though that would be uh, golly that could be very painful. But you can't win in Detroit. I am convinced of it. I'm convinced there are two places, well, three places in the in the NFL that you just can't win: Cleveland, Detroit, Jacksonville. Those are the three franchises that will never win anything. You could almost you could throw the Texans in there too if you wanted to, but that's like the unquestioned bottom tier of the yeah. NFL. Now the Jaguars got did they get to two AFC Championship games? They had that one with New England, right? When they had uh, who was the dude that was the quarterback uh, when they went to New England? Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles, yes, UCF. And then the uh, did they go to one with Mark Brunel at quarterback? Yeah, way they back did. In they the got day? pounded. I can't remember what year that was. I can't remember who the opponent was. But I just remember they got it handed to him. Yeah, I can't remember either. But uh, Tom Coughlin was there before he had that run with the Giants. And, you know, it's funny. If you look at the Jaguars over the years, that 2017 season where I think they went 10-6 and six in the regular season and then ended up making the AFC Championship game. If you look at their record over the years, that ten and six season is just a complete outlier. Yeah, it was like two and fourteen, three mm-hmm. and thirteen, two and fourteen again. Boom, ten and six, then right back to three and thirteen. Well, the Urban Meyer era was great, right? <laughs> oh my god, they got plenty of press. There are even more horror stories coming out uh, than we, you know, we we thought we heard them all, but it gets worse. It gets absolutely worse. Uh, a couple of people mentioning the Jets as a possibility. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, would they move on from Zach Wilson or would they bring Baker in, give him a tryout, and then, you know, go back to Zach Wilson? I don't know. Zach Wilson, I thought, you know, in the preseason looked pretty good. There was a lot of disaster there. He got hurt right late in the year. But I don't know. Uh, are, you, are the OU fans prepared to see Baker possibly going somewhere as a backup, do you think? I mean, I feel like that's kind of a last resort, Mm -hmm. and I really don't think – I know Baker doesn't have a ton of leverage in this situation, but I do feel like he still has enough respect around the league that whoever brings him in is at least going to bring him in with a chance to compete for the starting job. Yeah. And maybe it's not handed to him. I think there are very few spots around the league that are left – as available destinations where Baker Mayfield would be the unquestioned starter. Seattle is obviously one of those places. I think Carolina is another one of those places. Beyond that, the pickings are pretty slim at this point. Yeah, no doubt. All right, good to have you with us here on a Wednesday. Let's keep those texts coming in. 405-651-3439 in the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Thanks again to our friends at Lasher Home Comfort Systems. If you need work done on your heating and air, you need to give Tim Lasher and his great company a call. 405-579-3113. We'll break and we'll hear a few of the talking heads talking about Baker and those possibilities out there for him now when we get back here on The Ref. Stay with us. There you go. Colin Hayes' voice, minute work, top-notch. Top-notch. Welcome back. Steelman and Thune at noon here on the Ref Radio Network, the home of Sooner fans. Hope your Wednesday is going along smoothly. Things aren't so smooth for our old number six in Cleveland, Baker Mayfield. Not long for the Browns, obviously. The question is, where will Baker Mayfield eventually land 
and uh, try and uh, reinvigorate his NFL career after the uh, Browns, the uh, lowly Browns, went with uh, Mr. Massage himself, Deshaun Watson. A better option at quarterback, a worse option as a human being, obviously. Let's hear from Mike Florio, who said this this morning. There are two spots left, he believes, for Baker Mayfield. For Baker, I, I still go back to Seattle or Detroit. I know there's no reason yet to believe Detroit is interested, but but I think John Dorsey should be pounding on the table. I think Dan Campbell should be saying, this is the guy who epitomizes the kind of grit and toughness we are building into this team. Chris Spielman should say the same thing. And yeah, it would cost some dead cap money and it would hurt and you know they'd move on from Jared Goff, whatever the case may be. I, I, I think they should do it. And maybe they're Maybe they're waiting. Let the market soften. Let the Browns get desperate. And maybe you can steal Baker Mayfield or maybe even have the Browns pay some of the $18.8 million to offset the financial consequences of moving on from Jared Goff. The yeah. Browns already tanked Baker Mayfield's trade value. Yeah, and, so, and that's look, the deal. There's going to come a point in time in which they're, they're going to have to get desperate. Yeah, and, and maybe that's what organizations are doing right now. If they have interest in Baker Mayfield... Now, like Seattle can't. I know they have Drew Locke, but come on. Drew Locke got mocked by Tom Herman. When you get dunked on, like when the most memorable moment of your life is getting dunked on by Tom Herman, (laughs) that generally says a lot about you. Yeah, no doubt. But, again, waiting to see that price go down. The Browns are going to have to get desperate, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens there. Uh, let's hear what RG. You know, RG three's been taken up for Baker a lot. I'm not a huge fan of RG three uh, on on the broadcast, but he's continually kind of takes up for Baker Mayfield in almost every clip I see with him. And this is what uh, RG three said earlier this morning. He believes it is Seattle or bust for Baker. Well, for Baker, it seems like the Seattle Seahawks are the only team left. And the Browns have no trade leverage because they brought in Deshaun Watson. So whatever they're asking for, they got to bring it down tremendously. Otherwise, they're going to have to pay Baker Mayfield $18.9 million. But the bottom line is Baker doesn't have a trade market because of what the Browns have done and how they've torn him down in the media. So now they have to sit in the mess that they made. There you go. Yes, the Browns have had to sit in their own mess for a long time. Wasn't RG yeah, RG three was in Cleveland for mm-hmm. a minute? Yeah, he was there for a while. Man, RG three, remember, got off to that incredible start uh, with the uh, then Redskins. Remember, he had that big game in New Orleans where they won right off the bat. He was rookie of the year, you know, right there. And yeah, I tell you what, one of my worst mm-hmm. takes of all time was I I was adamant that RG three was going to be more successful in the NFL than Andrew Luck. Well, you know, it's amazing, though, that Vince Young had that same kind of meteoric rise in the uh, the NFL his first year in Tennessee, and then things just went south. RG3 got injured late in his rookie year. It wasn't quite the same. But, uh, like I said, he's a guy that takes up for Baker Mayfield quite a bit. He also had his Heisman moment against the University of Oklahoma. I'm trying to think, are there any other players that you guys or ladies out there on the text line that can remember – an opposing player who had their Heisman moment against OU. Because RG3 did in that Saturday night game in Waco and that touchdown pass to, it was Terrence Williams, Terrence wasn't it? Williams. In that the corner correct. of the end zone. And that, that was his Heisman moment right there. And that Saturday night game there, at uh, that was at the Floyd old Floyd Casey. Casey. What a dump that place was, man. I, I love McLean Stadium. 
Obviously, I, I never got the chance to go to Floyd Casey when they played there, but McLean Stadium is one of my favorite venues that I've been to. It's, it's intimate. It's a real scaled-down, cool stadium, it is. right? Would you describe it that way? But the Brazos right there, and uh, they they did a nice job kind of opening up the sight lines and everything, uh, right? It's, it's quintessential Big 12. I have not been there, but I can kind of picture it that way, that it, it looks like a big stadium that's been shrunk somewhat. Exactly. That really is what it feels like. And that it is, again, where you can – there are good sight lines again. There's some nice views, about as good as you can get, you know, in that part of the country. But uh, it was it was perfect for Baylor. And it's kind of like a lot of these college basketball schools are scaling back their basketball arenas, right? They want a more intimate environment. They want – you know, more fans there. They want more uh, more excitement, more energy in the building. Now, Texas did theirs, I believe, where they can expand out if they need to. Of course, Texas has, you know, they print money at Texas. But, um, yeah, and, and I think if OU gets their building eventually, hopefully they will, that that's the route they'll go, you know. You don't need some cavernous arena. I mean, even uh, the Dean Dome and Rupp Arena, they're not coming close to filling those places now. They're still getting good turnouts because they're Carolina and UK, but it's not the same as it used to be. So would that be where would that rank on your Big 12 stadiums list, Floyd Casey? Okay, or so not there, Floyd there Casey, but the new McLean. There are a couple I haven't actually been to yet because of COVID. I haven't been to Iowa State, haven't been to Texas Tech. I think those are the only two. Well, Lubbock sucks, so Lubbock you don't have to worry suck. about that. To me, obviously with the exception of OU, because Owen Field is the palace, a palace, the palace, uh, my favorite two are Kansas State and Baylor. K-State, man, they, they create quite a, uh, a lot of energy there. The students are really good, and for a smaller stadium, it's a pretty good environment. Really good environment. All right, we've got another hour to go. T.J. Eckert also coming up at 135. Keep it right here on The Ref. Taking you through a Wednesday. How we doing, everyone? Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you to our second-hour sponsor, the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a car or a truck. Great guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on newer used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. Here in the Brown O'Haver Studios on a Wednesday. And uh, we have T.J. Eckert. On the way at 135 today on the law offices of Rod Polston, Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line, right here on The Ref. All right, let's talk a little more spring football. Ted Roof met the media yesterday after Oklahoma's initial workout on Tuesday, and he was asked uh, what stood out to him about the Oklahoma job. Number one, it's the University of Oklahoma, okay? And you approach every opportunity with the same amount of effort, enthusiasm, commitment uh, to, to what you do. Uh, but it's really, really important here. And it's obvious it's really, really important here. It's wonderful to be at a place like that. As you do this longer, you know, I'm not saying when or what, but you know that this doesn't go on forever. And opportunities like this don't come very often. And when they do, you got to take full advantage of them. And uh, so it's it's been exciting. It's been challenging. And at the same time, uh, to, I've, en- I've enjoyed our staff and our group of players getting to know them so far and excited about the future. There you go. Ted Roof, again, meeting the media yesterday, well-traveled, uh, had a lot of coaching jobs, obviously, and I think people may have been initially surprised 
Parker back when uh, Ted Roof was named the defensive coordinator. What is the thought there, in your opinion? Because everybody, you know, seems to think, well, Brent's calling the shots on defense. He's the defensive guy. And, and he is. And Ted Roof is the coordinator in name. But it's not like Ted Roof is just a figurehead standing over there or up in the press box with a headset on and that's it. He's, he's obviously coaching, and uh, I, I think based on what we've heard, he's got a really good reputation. You, you immediately think for a guy that's had a lot of jobs, well, there's got to be an issue there. But he's had some good jobs, and he's worked with a lot of people, and obviously uh, Brent thought he would be a great guy to join the staff. What do you think he brings to the table? Well, I think, number one, he's an elder statesman. You know, you got yeah, a lot, a lot of young guys on the coaching staff, and to have somebody with the breadth of experience that Ted Roof has accumulated over the years is valuable in and of itself. I also think for a guy that has traveled the country as much as he has, he's had something like 15 or 16 different employers over the years as a coach, whether as a head coach, a coordinator, positional coach, whatever the case may be. He's worked at over a dozen different schools. And so... I don't think anybody's banking on Ted Roof being at Oklahoma long term, especially with his age, especially given the fact that his son, TD, is graduating from Oklahoma uh, after this season. He came this past year as a grad transfer from Appalachian State. He's going to spend the one year as a sixth-year senior with the program, and then he's out the door. So I don't get the sense that this is a long-term type of deal where you have Ted Roof as the defensive coordinator. And look, I have it on good authority that – Brent Venables is the one that if he's not calling the shots in technicality with regard to the defense, he at the very least is the one pulling the strings. Yeah, it has a lot of has a lot of influence. It's his philosophy. It's his playbook, his scheme. He is going to be the hand on the tiller more so than Ted Roof will be. But I also think it's a move designed to groom your next defensive coordinator because I think there's going to come a point in time at which the responsibilities of being a head coach are going to make it more difficult for Brent Venables to implement the totality of his defensive vision and be the full-time defensive play caller. And obviously, during this transition, Venables is the guy that needs to be implementing the playbook and building the scheme and dialing up the plays. he's, He's the best at what he does. In that regard. But he's no longer a coordinator. He's now a head coach. And when you're a head coach, your responsibilities increase exponentially. You have to delegate. Now, you have to delegate a bunch. There's uh, Brent Venables isn't going to be able to be calling the defensive plays for Oklahoma forever. There's going to there's gonna come a point in time in which he has to hand things off to somebody. And again, it does not make much sense for him to hand those duties off immediately because this Oklahoma program, and more specifically this Oklahoma defense, they need what he brings to the table as a play caller. But when you bring in a guy like Ted Roof, who worked for a year under Brent Venables at Clemson in an off-field role, I think what you have at your disposal is a guy that is willing and able to help implement Brent Venables' vision and serve as a placeholder as Venables passes on all the tricks of his trade to Todd Bates, Brandon Hall, whoever it may be. I think it'll be Brandon Hall personally, but whoever they have in mind to be their next defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Brent Venables needs time to be able to 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 be able to create 
the next version of himself to cultivate a Brent Venables disciple in in a lot of depth. And so I think that guy is Brandon Hall. I've said that before. I think in my eyes, especially with uh, especially given the fact that he's the only other coach on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma right now that has experience calling plays as a defensive coordinator. He had that occupation at Troy. Brandon Hall is probably next in line. And we also, what, what do we know about Brandon Hall? He's probably an OU lifer. Yeah. Because this is a homecoming for him. He got his start in coaching as a student assistant at Oklahoma. So this is a guy that's going to be around with Brent Venables for as long as Brent Venables is at Oklahoma unless a job comes along that you just can't pass up. So in my eyes, Ted Roof is the placeholder as Brent Venables starts to build the next version of himself in either Todd Bates or Brandon Hall. All right, and one guy that they're hoping has a big year on the OU defense is Jalen Redmond. When he's been healthy throughout his Oklahoma career, he's been extremely productive. But, you know, with the blood clots, the medical situation, some injuries, uh, he hasn't been on the field enough, and they're hoping he has a healthy season. Because, again, Jalen Redmond has been, you know, just about everything they expected him to be when he's been healthy, which has been a terror for quarterbacks and a really good defensive player. Let's hear from Jalen Redmond from yesterday. Ask how he feels going into this big season coming up. I feel good. I feel healthy, and uh, I feel I'm, I'm ready to I'm ready to get this thing going. And I mean, like you said, I've been here for a minute, and <laughs> it went through the ups, and I feel like I went through so many ups and downs, and. But I'm good. I'm glad to you know be back. I'm I'm glad Coach Venables is here. How do you think it's prepping you for this next season? Everything. Uh, I think it, it's making me like with Smitty. It's putting me in better shape, and glad he's here. And the the um, scheme we're running and everything. I feel like it'll help me help me a lot for the next level. All right, that's Jalen Redmond uh, talking to the media yesterday. You were out there, Parker, watching them go through the initial workouts, and uh, you're seeing. You said you saw direct results on the new program, Body by Schmidt, Schmitty. Yeah, Body by Schmitty. You can tell these dudes are jacked. They all like all across the board. Everybody has more muscle mass than they did at the end of last season, and it's particularly conspicuous on guys like Billy Bowman, Key Lawrence, Kelvin Gilliam has put on a massive amount of weight. He's listed at 285 now. He was listed at 254 last season. So they have all made gains in a very literal sense under the direction of Jerry Schmidt in the workout room. And now it comes down to how that translates and how that increased uh, physical condition manifests itself on the football field. And as I've said many times, particularly on the defensive side of the ball for Oklahoma in Brent Venable's scheme, your physical condition and the athletic talent that you have, sure, that's important, but it's not nearly as important as knowing where to be on the field and how to execute your assignment properly in a defensive scheme that is so intricate as Brent Venables. And so that is why I, I'm encouraged to see them making such physical progress under Jerry Schmidt, but I also think that's that's not the end-all, be-all. And I'm going to be much more excited if this team rolls out for the spring game on April 23rd and we see instant, tangible evidence that the defensive mindset and the entire way of doing business on the defensive side of the ball has changed in Norman, Oklahoma. 
Another guy I'm excited to see that came in with a great reputation at a high school big-time recruit, Clayton Smith. What are we thinking there? I don't know. See, everybody, everybody's real high on Clayton Smith. I'm pumping the brakes a little bit right now on that Is it, Is it hard to find a position for him? And that's what? that's what it boils down to right there is where does he fit? And I'm not questioning that he will ultimately fit somewhere in Brent Venable's defense. I just don't know offhand right now where he does fit because he was perfect for Alex Grinch's modified 3-3-5, 4-2-5, however you wanted to categorize it, that defense that Oklahoma ran under Grinch. He was the next Nick Benito. He was Nick Benito in waiting. In Brent Venable's defense, there isn't that one spot that you say, yep, that's perfect for Clayton Smith. That's where he belongs right now. So, to me, it all depends on what their vision for Clayton Smith is and where he ultimately fits into the puzzle. I don't have an answer right now, and that's why I'm probably not quite as high on Clayton Smith as a lot of other folks are right now. Be interesting to see uh, where he winds up and how good of a player he ends up being. But uh, certainly had a great, great, great reputation uh, at uh, at the high school level. Hey, good stuff on the um, Air Comfort Solutions text line. We were asking about other than because we were talking about RG3's Heisman moment, right? Johnny Rogers, good job, 405. The Eric Crouch reverse pass from Mike Stunts. I think that was probably his Heisman moment. What do you think? Was that Crouch's Heisman moment? Yeah, I think it's the one that everybody remembers. Yeah, and Johnny Rogers, you know, on the uh, punt return game of the century. But he won the uh, Heisman in 72, right? Was it the the year after? I'm trying to think of uh, 71. Uh, who was 71? Was that Plunk? No, he would have been earlier than that. No, Pat Sullivan may have been 70. I'll have to Google, go ahead and Google it up. But uh, Rodgers, yeah, if, if that was the year, that was definitely a Heisman moment because that game was everybody was tuned into that game back in the Pat day. Pat Sullivan won the Heisman in 71. Rodgers was 72. Jim okay. Plunkett was 1970. Okay. There you go. Yeah, that was uh, one of the most historic plays in college football, though, with Johnny Rogers, uh, the punt return clips, a couple of them on that particular return as the Huskers won in Norman on that Thanksgiving Day, overcast Thanksgiving Day at Owen Field back in the day, 35-31. Man, I can still remember that game. And again, I still remember the tearaway jerseys. Jack Mildren, Jeff Kinney, all those skill players had the tearaway jerseys. It was crazy. It was like they were wearing uh, like paper towels or something. What was the purpose of the tearaway jersey? Well, I mean, a fish, you know, a defenders would grab onto your jersey or something they would just rip away i mean if you go back and you watch like some highlights of that game you can see like jack mildren scores on oh, an yeah, option like plate. he has like half a jersey on the rest was ripped ripped to shreds and it wasn't illegal back then there was a back for alabama he wore number 80 i think his name was wilbur jackson i believe wore number 80 for alabama and i remember he played for bear Bryant, and i remember he had probably the worst tearaway jersey of all time um but, yeah, so the, you can't do that. You can't wear those anymore, but uh, they were legal at the time. So, anyway, just memories. Memories from the old game of the century. All right, keep the texts coming in. Air Comfort Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. Mike Steely, Parker Thune with you. Let's talk a little uh, – Sooner softball as well when we get back. Get back to the text line. We have T.J. Eckert joining us at 135. Still got a lot of time left here on this Wednesday.
Okay, Wednesday, and everybody, let's talk a little uh, more sports here. Get to your text, 405-651-3439 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Here in the Brown O'Heaver studios on a Wednesday, thanks again to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group. So, um, the OU women's softball team, I mean – like I said, they are the they are the Beatles of uh, women's softball. Uh, you knew there was going to be a huge crowd out in Hawaii for Jocelyn Allo, uh, you know, to set the record, which she did. But the Mary Nutter Classic record crowds, Hall of Fame Stadium last week, Lexington, Kentucky last night. The OU women's softball team—they're rock stars. They are absolute rock stars. They go to twenty-six and zero. They uh, beat down Kentucky 9-1. to They run rule the Wildcats. They, again, they've won 22 of 26 by run rule. You know, they really, in actuality, if you look at the schedule, they played one real home game. One! Minnesota. Now, you can talk about, you know, they, there was a great contingent of OU fans there in Lexington last night if you watched on the SEC Network. And you better familiarize yourself with the SEC Network now, you know, because it's coming. What happens to the Longhorn Network? I don't know. Has Have there they been resolved a clear that? answer on that? Because, like, my impression was that when they make the move to the SEC, that's the end of the Longhorn Network. But I don't know. It's not – I guess it's not below the University of Texas to come up with some scheme to try and keep their network intact. There's enough money. Yes, there. there's – Texas seems to be the spoiled kid that always gets what it wants, right? And finally, uh, Texas ran Nebraska out of the league, right? They had enough of DeLos Dodds. The great Abe Lemon said, I got fired by a track coach. All he has to say is run fast and turn left. That's it. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I think Nebraska was tired of uh, being pushed around by Texas, the Longhorns cause a lot of issues, do they not? They really do. Well, more issues for themselves than anyone else. But yes, yes, you talk about dysfunctional. It's that athletic department, at least particularly with football, because it always seems like you know. Well, maybe this will be the time that Texas gets it going, and then it seems to be the same issues. Well, and I'll, I'll say this, and I know it's going to sound like oh, God, I don't know, you radio station is piling on to Texas, but no, the issues in that Texas football program are myriad, and they are systemic. It, 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 this is not the type of thing going on in Texas where all of a sudden it's going to be fixed overnight and Texas is going to win the Big 12 next year just because they have Quinn Ewers. Who is the deal? Who was the dude with the uh, car dealership in Friday Night Lights? Buddy something? Wasn't that his name? Did you watch Friday Night Lights? No. He was the dude who had all the influence over the boosters and everything and way too much, and they were all trying to call the shots. That's the situation you get to feel uh, that it's like that in Austin, right? That And – I thought, you know, man, Tom Herman looked like he was going to be a good hire. It was a little strange he was kissing players, but hey, I, you know, whatever. But uh, he did a good job at Houston. Beat OU, obviously. And I think, you know, we kind of thought Tom Herman's kind of a different dude, but, man, it looks like a good hire. Nope, didn't turn out to be a great hire. Steve Sarkeesian, again, looked like he'd turned his life back around and was on, you know, Nick Saban's staff and brought that to Austin. It couldn't have been a worse 
year than it was for Texas. You lose to Kansas at home. You lose to Kansas again. You got uh, the pole assassin, G of the monkey. I mean, you give up a historic comeback to your rival in the Cotton Bowl. Disaster. Well, and I think with Texas and its hirings of head football coaches over the years, the mistake that they've made time and time again is that they have to feed their fans junk food. They right? go they for the sexy the sh- hire. They got to right? give them the sugar. Because Charlie Strong, it, it, you can go back to Charlie Strong. He was the sexiest hire mm-hmm. on that coaching yep. carousel. And they did the exact same thing with Tom Herman. Tom Herman was the guy that had the most buzz of any group of five coach in the country. Obviously, he had just beaten Oklahoma and taken Houston to, I believe, an 11-win season. And then with Steve Sarkeesian, the exact same deal. He had been to the Nick Saban School of Career Rehabilitation. Right. And he had spent time in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. And he was a guy that was going to bring juice to the Texas football program. Right, but... As 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 they say in the business, juice is temporary, but sauce lasts forever. There you go. Texas and has had a lot of juice over the last decade and no sauce. It's it's too early to give up on Sark, but you couldn't have had a more disastrous first year, right? I mean, when you think about not only the way you lost games, but the off-the-field stuff. I mean, that's about as bizarre as it gets. So... I don't know. Uh, it, it's always baffled me that the University of Texas loses a bunch of football games uh, when it's, they've got more resources than maybe any school in the country. And now, look, A and M's got a ton too right now. Um, you know, you've got two Titans right there in the Lone Star State, but you know, it's the, there are too many issues there uh, with. And I think Chris Del Conte seems like a good AD, pretty good AD and uh, likable. I love that trip that he took, you know, with with the fans going uh, to the Longhorns basketball game. But there just seems to be too many boosters there. Well, I thought you, you, Mac was going to be a great hire. Mac turned out to be Mac a really – Mac was a good hire. Mac was like, an excellent Mac hire. Mac was a great hire. He, he couldn't beat Bob Stoops enough, but he won a national championship. And Mac was – Mac was a perfect coach for Texas. You know, he's the kind of guy who could be governor of Texas, too, if he wanted to be. Wearing the Wranglers, <laughs> you know, we heard Rufus say he had a big old dip when he went into Mac's office and there was cowhide everywhere. But, uh, you know, and, and Mac would have been a good coach at OU, too. Well, here's what I think. I think Texas's problem, well, one of their problems as a program, is the exact same problem that Texas A&M has. It's Texas chauvinism. That's really what it is, right? Everything's bigger in Texas. We're going to do it big. And then they try to do it big, and it falls flat on its face because they're not doing it the right way. They're just doing it for the sake of bombast. Yeah, they they definitely do things big, no doubt. Uh, They're living up to the state's reputation. A&M, I I don't understand. How does A&M have so much money? Are there that many wealthy Aggies out there? There's a lot of oil in Texas, Mike. There's a lot of oil. But the market comes and goes. We know that with the oil and gas market here. But I'm just amazed that – and Oklahoma has a lot of, uh, you know, alums that have done well. Uh, you know, in the oil and gas industry that have contributed a bunch and helped uh, keep the program where it is. But the money that A&M has, uh, it, it seems like it's just gotten bigger over the years, right? I mean, you look at that stadium and those facilities. Uh, who has, in your opinion, based on what you've heard, I know you've been to some of these places, a lot of these stadiums, I don't know how many of the uh, training facilities or weight rooms you've seen, 
But who would you say has the best facilities in the country? Would it be A&M? Would it be Texas? That's a good question. Oregon's got to have great facilities. There are a facilities. lot of candidates. I think three years from now, it'll be Oregon. Oregon's investing a ridiculous amount of money into new facilities. And so three to five years down the road, I think unquestionably – the answer is going to be Oregon. And if you look at their architectural plans for everything that they're adding they on to their football program. Are they redoing Autzen Stadium? Are they redoing it? I don't think it? they're they... redoing Autzen Stadium. I think they're just making massive additions to their existing facilities. Uh, they're getting a new indoor. And generally, like, if you just look at all their plans, there's <laughs> there are many millions of dollars that are going to be invested in the future of Oregon football. Good. I want them to take down Mule Shoes, Mule Shoes Evil Empire and they right will. there. And I they want will. them to do that. I, SC's facilities are among the worst. Now, let's <laughs> hope they stay that way, right? I mean, when you consider really of a tradition-rich, big-time program that has a great reputation, and I know that SC hasn't been good for a while, but theirs might be the worst. When you consider, again, if you list the traditional – Top 10 programs in the history of college football, and SC certainly on that list, pretty high up, right there in the same neighborhood with Oklahoma, but their facilities are, are, are just way behind. You remember there was a time last summer where everybody thought Gentry Williams was going to commit to USC? I, I do remember that. Have you yeah. heard him talk about the facilities at USC? I have not. Because he's made comments. You know, we do the Twitter spaces from time to time, uh, which is just kind of an informal gathering of everybody that wants to be in the know about Sooner football. And <laughs> Gentry's hopped in a couple of those Twitter spaces, and he has dished on the facility situations Good. out there. And uh, suffice it to say, his reviews of the USC facilities about line up with what everyone else has said and what everyone else seems to believe in the public eye as to what USC has at their disposal in terms of football facilities, which is not a whole heck of a lot and not a whole lot of money being spent to improve them. It's an arms race, man, and big-time college football. It's an arms race, and uh, once you build a new facility, you've got to start the blueprints on another or, you know, upgrading that facility because uh, you've got to keep up with the Joneses if you want to play big-time college football. And uh, the Sooners' facilities are still really good. Um, you know, I don't know if they're A&M or, or, you know, what Oregon's looking at, but, you know, it's all about a lot of it's t- tied to the oil and gas industry and the money coming in. I get that. But Oklahoma has really good facilities. But, again, you've got to be thinking about your next one or you get behind. All right, let's talk to T.J. Eckert when we get back here on The Ref. All right, T.J. Eckert joins us. KTUL-TV and Tulsa Sports Director. T.J., appreciate your time today. Uh, let's start with a little spring football for the Sooners. Uh, you know, you played uh, at a very high level, and uh, you know what a uh, good coaching staff looks like. What, what do you see from the outside looking in and just, you know, covering the press conferences of both of these guys now? The differences in philosophy, uh, pretty night and day, it seems like, between Brent and uh, Muleshoe. Uh, what stands out to you if you had to tell somebody, hey, what are the differences between these coaching staffs, at least as, as, we, as we've seen up to this point, what would you say? Yeah, I would say, honestly, Steve, the big thing, two big things for me. One is the energy. It feels like there's much more energy around the program. It doesn't feel fake. It feels like real energy. It feels like these guys are excited to be here, fired up to be here. It seems like that's feeding off onto the players as well, which I think is a welcome change. But one thing, 
it's kind of a little thing, but always stood out to me as a player is when coaches would either work out in the weight room with us or do stuff on the field with us. And so there were just little clips here and there of, of Brent Venable stretching on the field during warm-ups with uh, the guys during that first spring practice or with Schmitty going through the warm-ups and stuff with the guys. You know, normally, and I know the last staff did this, the coaches would walk around and, and talk to the players during warm-ups and stuff, and we had coaching staffs who would do that too in college, and that's totally fine. But I always felt like when a coach was working out alongside me or going through warm-ups and stuff with me, I felt like they were more invested in what we were doing. And so it's a very little thing, but it's something I noticed and something I appreciate um, when coaching staffs do that. Now, TJ, being a Tulsa guy, we got to ask you, what on earth does Cole Adams have to do to pick up the OU offer, man? <laughs> I don't know. Does he need to like run a 4-3 instead of a 4-4? Like, is it, are we splitting that many hairs here, man? I, he's impressive. He is, he is really uh, shot up, especially the past few months, obviously, in the recruiting world. I don't, honestly don't know what he needs to do. He's been really productive with multiple different quarterbacks at a while. So, you know, they've kind of had a revolving door, and they'll have another different quarterback this year because Austin Havens transferred from Owasso to Bixby. And so there's going to be another quarterback there. I know they have the Willingham or Williams kids uh, there at Owasso right now that transferred in. Uh, but I, every quarterback he's worked with, he's done great. He's been the best wide receiver on the field in just about every game he's played, and that includes when RSJ was at Broken Arrow and they played against each other. I thought Cole was even a, even more electric than, than RSJ was because he's just so big. But, man, he's impressive, and I don't know what all he needs to do, but they need to hurry because, I mean, everybody else around the country has already picked up on him. Speaking of uh, speedsters, what do you think of the uh, Tyreek Hill uh, trade away from Kansas City headed to Miami? I saw someone say he's going to go from catching 80-yard bombs to 8-yard bubble screens. I thought that was a pretty good uh, pretty good comparison. Not, not bad. It, yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know. It sounds like the Chiefs made an offer. I didn't see any terms or anything like what they offered him. and I, I don't know if he was just looking to be the high, most highest-paid wide receiver in the league and he didn't get there and so he was ready to bounce. I don't know if Devontae Adams set the market and he felt like he could do it better elsewhere. Uh, I don't know. Maybe he does. He kind of seems like a guy who would enjoy Miami over Kansas City in terms of living there and, and embracing that city. So maybe that was part of it. But certainly seems weird from a football standpoint uh, to leave Patrick Mahomes where you're going to be the top guy to go to a place like Miami where, you know, Tua has really struggled since he got into the league. What are your thoughts on Baker Mayfield and that whole situation, TJ? You think it's Seattle or second string at this point for the Sooner legend? It's weird, man. I, I, you know, I think this price tag or this idea of Baker being the number one pick has kind of put him on this pedestal of, of he's going to demand a high price, and the Browns, I think, are probably asking a high price. And maybe the quarterback market has set that price for him. But it's interesting. I, I feel like Seattle would be a great fit, but honestly, someone, someone threw out Tampa Bay. Like, why not go sit behind Brady for a year, learn, get in that system, and then take over once he retires, if he ever retires. Who knows when that will happen. I thought that was a decent idea. Seattle makes sense from a fit standpoint. He'd have to go in and compete with Drew Locke, obviously, but I think he would win that quarterback battle, and that's a, and that's a good system for him to be in. Nobody's asking Baker to go in and put up the air raid, you know, throw for 4,000, 5,000 yards like he did in college. Nobody's asking him to do that. What they are asking him to do in Cleveland was just fine. He's not, he's not going to go out and win you a bunch of games, but he's certainly – going to give you a chance to win a lot of games too and so Seattle in terms of that system would be a good fit he's got great weapons there 
I'd love to see him go there. If not, I'd like to see him go somewhere where he can sit behind a veteran and learn maybe for a year or two and, and kind of get re- reset and then and then go on from there. The Tom Brady uh, idea is intriguing, very intriguing. Parker is a mm-hmm. big uh, Tom Brady, Tampa Bay guy, so maybe he'll get – Yeah, big Tampa Bay guy, not a huge Tom Brady guy, but okay. I, I respect what he's well, done. What do you think team. of that idea? Is Baker coming to be an understudy oh, Brady listen, for I, a year? I, w- I would love it. Yeah. I would love it, but – Baker Mayfield only has one year left on his contract, and I don't know if the Bucks are about to dole out 18 mil for a backup QB. Yeah, true. Very yeah. true that. So, all right, TJ, golf, Phil, not going to be at Augusta. First time since 1994. I mean, he won. He was the low am there in 91. Uh, we don't know if this is a PGA Tour suspension behind the scenes. We don't know if this is Augusta National saying thanks but no thanks. We don't know if it's Phil not wanting to play because of sponsors uh, or not wanting to face the media. I would imagine if Phil – it would surprise me if it was a Phil decision. It really would because it's Augusta. Uh, so my guess is it's something either with the PGA Tour or Augusta National. Again, Augusta is not a PGA Tour event. It's on the PGA Tour schedule, but Augusta does what Augusta does. They make their own rules. Um, what do you think is going on there? And uh, is it now looking like we may not even see Phil at Southern Hills to defend his PGA championship? Yeah, so behind the scenes, I think it's more of a PGA Tour working with Augusta National type thing of them trying to not let him play. I don't think it's like you're saying. I, don't, I, don't, I agree with you. It's not Phil saying, ah, you know, I don't want to be a distraction. I don't want, you know, the sponsor thing. I think it's more from the PGA Tour, the golf side of things. I, I think they're trying to keep him out of the event. So that's it, that. When that first came out, obviously I was concerned about about Phil not being Augusta. That kind of sucks. But yes, my next my next thought was, will we see him at Southern Hills? I mean, he's a defending champion. We haven't heard anything from the PGA of America on. It's different than the Senior PGA, where we got Ken Tanagawa, who is the defending champ. We got him in Tulsa about a month before doing media stuff it's very different with the pga they can't do that the schedule is is, is more demanding so I, I didn't expect to get phil mickelson in tulsa for like media availability a month before but we haven't heard anything from the pga of america on phil coming in so my I, that's my fear and then if he doesn't play the pga the the pgl the, the liv golf investments tournaments start in june i wouldn't be surprised if phil doesn't play the pga i wouldn't be surprised if we see him the next time he plays golf on the LIV side of things. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But then one more thing I want to add to that, Steely, is you notice that Phil Mickelson's name was on the list of past champions on the mm. field. The name that was not, yep. Tiger Woods. Yeah. I, I, I think, again, part of that is Tiger has informed them he's not playing. I don't think right. Tiger's made a decision yet, maybe, but the last time we saw him, he said walking to a golf course was the whole question, and a course like Augusta National or a couple of holes at Southern Hills are going to be uh, pretty difficult as well. I would say right. it's more likely he plays at Southern Hills than, than Augusta. Maybe he yep. plays the par three at Augusta. I don't know with Charlie right. there, you know, but uh, it's Tiger Woods. You never know. You never know. Personally, Absolutely. I think he's Tiger Woods. You give him his own golf cart, you know, black and red golf cart. Why even not? Though, even though it's Augusta, <laughs> and let him do that. He's Tiger freaking Woods, man. Absolutely. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> TJ, we always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. You're always uh, gracious to come on with us, and we always have good conversations with you. We'll do it again soon, my man. Thank you. You bet. Thanks, Parker and Steve. Appreciate you guys. 
TJ Eckert, KTUL-TV in Tulsa. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because initially we didn't think, we were thinking, man, Phil, not at Augusta, three-time champion. I mean, the shot there on 15 through the uh, the Pines. Really, if you if you ever get there and you see that, it's not, didn't look, I mean, look, Masters pressure, it was, it was a tremendous shot. He missed the eagle putt, though, but still uh, made the next one. But it, it was... It looked more difficult on TV, I will say that. And they still have the spot marked where Phil made that shot on uh, on 13, not 15, 13, 13. My favorite hole out there. How can I make that mistake? Anyway, we got a break right here. Thank you to the Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Exit 72 for a great deal on a vehicle from our friends at the Seth Wadley Auto Group. And a great guarantee. Oil changes, engines for life on New Year's gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. A young Aussie. This was a big-time jam back in, like, 10th grade. Paranoid. Also had Iron Man on that album. Big-time album. Coming right back. Okay, headed down the stretch here on a Wednesday. Our friends over at Riverwind always have uh, the best promotions, best dining, best service, best everything. Best concert series coming up with the Beats and Bites uh, Festival for 2022, beginning on May 28th with Night Ranger and Starship. Uh, yeah, you can get outdoors, see some great, great bands, and have uh, all the food trucks there, craft beer from the friends of uh, Riverwind. Of course, Coop Ale House is a great bar there, and Coop Ale Works uh, sponsoring also the uh, Beats and Bites Festival for 2022. They also have great promotions this weekend. Friday night, the final drawing for the 80K courtside cash giveaway. Get out there, win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play on Friday night. Then on Saturday night, somebody's going to walk away with the keys to a brand new Cadillac XT5, a brand new one in the 80K land into luxury promotion. Riverwind, there's a reason they're boated year after year after year after year. It's the best casino in the metro area. Best, uh, They certainly have the best promotions, best service, best dining, best concerts, and a world-class hotel. That's why Riverwind Casino is simply the best. Okay, uh, Thunder Basketball tonight, 7 o'clock, Orlando in town. This is a big one right here. For the Tankathon standings, Oklahoma City has dropped 10 in a row. You need to make it 11 in a row. This is a must-lose game. You would move into the third-worst record in the NBA and increase your ping-pong ball odds in the draft lottery. So Oklahoma City must lose tonight. How about Trey Young again at Madison Square Garden? The guy has been fabulous at Madison Square Garden. You remember last year in the playoffs with the Knicks fans all over him. Trey dropped 45 last night, seven threes. The Hawks won uh, over the Knicks, 117 to 111. Okay, so uh, March Madness, Sweet 16, resumes tomorrow night. The late game in the West Regional will be Duke against Texas Tech. Mike Krzyzewski... Uh, talking about his Blue Devils after they beat Michigan State, uh, was pretty impressed because Michigan State had the Blue Devils on the ropes, and it looked like that could be it for Coach K. But those guys, uh, Paolo Boncaro, Bencaro made uh, a couple huge plays, big blocks down the stretch, and Duke took over over the last four or five minutes and won the game. This was Coach K. Uh, pretty happy with his guys after that win over the Spartans. I'm incredibly cr- proud of my guys. This is a, this was a, you guys were terrific, man. I'm so, 
I'm really proud to be your coach. You know, that it had nothing to do with coaching in those last four or five minutes. It all had to do with heart and togetherness. And uh, they followed their hearts, and God bless them. Uh, you know, we're in the Sweet 16. Is there anybody out there who is just a college basketball fan and not a Duke fan that wants to see Coach K go out and win this championship? Or is everybody on the, I want to see Duke lose as soon as possible? That means Look, Texas Tech tomorrow night. In, gentr- in general, I am very much of the anti-Duke sentiment in that regard. But, man, it would be so cool to watch Coach K with as long as he's been at Duke. Mike, since what, your junior year of high school? Yes. It would be so cool to see him go out on top, especially in a year where there's no clear answer as to who the top tier in college basketball is. Right now it's anybody's game. St. Peter's is in the Sweet 16. Mm -hmm. We are all peacocks. For the moment. but So you if, would rather see Coach K win, go out with a win in a national championship than Gonzaga win their first? Because that's I, what would have to happen, I think obviously. so, yes. Because Gonzaga's going to be right back there next year. You know they will. Mark Few in that program? Like, they are. What, is, what would it be? be? Lo- they're losing Drew Tamer and uh, – Holmgren won't be back, right? No, I mean, no. obviously. But Gonzaga now recruits uh, – it used to be that – you know, Gonzaga, then they, you know, you get Jalen Suggs and you get Chad Holmgren, guys like that. You become uh, obviously a program that recruits nationally now. Well, exactly. There. And, you know, you think back to the great Gonzaga teams in recent memory, right? We, we always kind of figured, yeah, Gonzaga won't be back after this year because, you know, first it was they're losing Shemek Karnowski, and then it's they're losing Rui Hachimura, mm-hmm. and then it's they're losing Jalen Suggs. But Gonzaga is building a program around the Kentucky-Duke-North Carolina model now. They can, they can play the one-and-done game. That's yeah. how prominent they mm-hmm. are yeah, in the national spectrum. And so I fully expect that if Gonzaga doesn't get it done this season, they're going to be right back in the hunt next year. But this is the last go-round for Coach K. And Ooh. Yeah, this is this is it, obviously. And I've seen a lot of anti-Coach K sentiment out there, more than I thought. And look, uh, there's, there's some out there for me, too. I don't like, again, the way he's tra- treated some of the student reporters uh, and stuff like that. But I don't know. I Either way, uh, I would be happy to see Gonzaga win it. Uh, I would be happy to see Coach K win it because of the story, you know, going out like that. But I don't know. I'm just seeing a lot of anti – there's always anti-Duke sentiment because they're considered, you know, Christian Laidner and Grayson Allen, and a lot of people don't like Coach K, and they're the – you know, they just don't like Duke. But more so than I even thought. As he winds up his career. Am I explicitly pulling for Duke? No. But would I mind seeing them win? Also no. Right now I am all aboard the St. Peter's bandwagon. You are, man. It's, You're hitched to the Peacocks. They're probably going down against Purdue because what do we know about 15 seeds? Even those select few that do make it to the Sweet 16 don't go any further than that. But it's fun for the moment. It's fun to enjoy this. Yeah. It's fun to enjoy a program that is the modern-day iteration of the Hickory Huskers enduring such an outstanding run. By the way, Gonzaga, two cheesiest uh, mustaches in uh, College Hoops history, Adam Morrison and Larry Bird. Bird became a legend. Adam Morrison flopped in the NBA, but he was a great college player. There's no doubt about it. Super cheesy mustaches, though. But Larry Joe Bird, what a credit to the human race. A star. 
All right, and again, I didn't get to see him play against OU because of, well, I told the story, you know. Nope. Not watching that. Thanks a lot. All right, we got to get out of here. Make way for uh, Tyler McComas to slide in here for Locked In with Parker and Tyler. Everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll see you tomorrow.